0: Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Thank you so much for listening. This week's episode is with Mitch Alexander, who is a friend of the podcast. He's a philosopher and a metalhead. A uh, rare combina- combination, maybe. I was wondering if there are any of you listeners who are that particular combination. Email me on fraser at com. I wanted to thank everybody who does that, by the way. It's really lovely to get emails from you. I don't think you understand how much it brightens my day just to get. It's usually just these incredibly thoughtful, lovely emails, and uh, it makes me very happy. If you uh subscribe on the Patreon, thank you everyone who signed up recently. It's really overwhelming and wonderful. Y- if you you can just go to Patreon.com/slash Alice Fraser and subscribe for no money to follow my blogs. Most of them are free. Occasionally there'll be like a one dollar paywall. If you can't afford a dollar a month, give me an email and we'll figure something out. Uh, there is also if you want to subscribe for five dollars, you get access to the full download of the Resistance, which is my most recent show. In full, and if you uh, stay on the five dollar thing, there'll be more video content coming out. If you if you're interested in that, Um, I spoke with Mitch about um, the danger of holding an idea, the current trend to think of ideas as dangerous, and. we sort of talked about a a bunch of things and and trod on some uh, delicate ground but I think we managed to get our way through it. We did it in what I thought looked like a very quiet corridor but turned out to be the loudest corridor in the world. I don't think it's interfered with the sound too much. Uh, If you are in Sydney, mm, I'm doing a show, one last show in Australia of Empire which is my most recent comedy show. It's on the 16th at Comedy Store. It is a very big room Please, if you're in Sydney, uh, come along or send friends to uh, watch me do Empire because otherwise (laughs) there won't be very many people there and that's a terrifying prospect. If you're in London, I'll be there from uh, the 1st of July. I'll be doing gigs. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E to see my kind of upcoming dates. And other than that, I'll be in Edinburgh for the full month of Edinburgh. So send all... uh, money help and people to that if you would like otherwise just keep listening it's a fantastic thing to know that you guys are listening to me have tea and talk about stupid things with some of the most brilliant people i know that's enough of me i will see you next week thanks for listening again you're having tea with alice Who are you and what are you drinking?
1: (laughs) Uh, My name is Mitch Alexander. I'm not sure who I am, though. That seems to be a good response for that question. Um, And we're not drinking anything at the moment.
0: What did you drink most recently?
1: Water. I'm on a lot of water at the moment.
0: Why are you on a lot of water?
1: Uh, Because I'm on blood thinners at the moment. (laughs) Not where I thought we were going to be going with this conversation straight away. Um, No, I got DVT, so I'm on blood thinners. So I figure the more water I can take in, probably the better. I'm not basing it on anything, it just seems right. To like limit juice, limit caffeine. The word diuretic is one that I think about and I'm assuming I just should counteract that with water.
0: Yes, because you otherwise you piss out your blood. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Neither of us are doctors, but that's okay.
0: <laughs> what have you been wrestling with recently?
1: Um, so I've had like, there's a, I've had a couple of ideas that... All sort of like feed into each other. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. Would a would a brief overview? <laughs> We're in a spot, a public spot with kids, and there is a kid who is done with today. Yes, he's, he's <laughs>
0: completed his today's tasks, um, and he wants his dad to carry him, and his dad is being very disobliging.
1: I get it too. Why? I miss being carried. I'm a, yeah. I'm a bigger person, and I, I lived with someone a little while ago, a couple of years ago now, who. Was one of the rare people who was like so much bigger than me that he could carry me, and it was a joy to get a proper piggyback again. Some nights was just it was, I miss it. I miss <laughs> being cradled and helped. I um, think,
0: I, yeah, I remember very clearly the first time that my that someone didn't carry me out of the car when I was asleep in the car,
1: <laughs> they just nudged I you away. I remember,
0: yeah, I remember the betrayal of that the <laughs> sense of just ultimate betrayal that you weren't sleepily carried out of the car and put in your own bed. Without being forced to wake up in the interim?
1: <laughs> I think I might have blocked that memory out because I remember sleeping in the car. I remember, like, we had a big mango tree out the front of my house, and they used to just park the car under that while I was asleep, leave all the doors open on a main road out the front, and I would wake up there and just sort of, you know, waddle back inside or be carried back inside at a certain point. But I don't remember that first time where they're like, no. <laughs>
0: No, no carrying. (laughs) We're done. I do, very clearly, (laughs)
2: obviously.
0: (laughs) I mean, this is that. I mean, I think maybe that's the perfect example of um, where the uh, revocation of a privilege or the return to a normal life feels like oppression. (laughs) <laughs> this is the experience of the white man. White men Everyone are babies. Everyone else has to walk out of their car. <laughs> the first time you don't get lift out of the car, carried into your room, it feels like genuinely, it does, it feels like it's one of the worst betrayals of my life.
1: <laughs> white men are un- unswaddled babies. <laughs> That's what they are now.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, that time you put your arms up. And your parents like, no, you're too big.
1: <laughs> I don't remember that either. Do you not? Maybe I grew up past my parents. Maybe my parents were struggling under the weight of me for far too long and then I decided to go off my own and they just breathed a sigh of relief. Like, oh, oh, my shoulders. Oh, my God.
0: That's why your parents are jacked. <laughs>
1: yeah. My dad is jacked, though. I resent him for that.
0: Why is your dad jacked and why do you resent him for that?
1: Because I want to be jacked and I'm not. I, don't, I mean, part of it is I don't put in nearly enough effort and I could but after he had a heart attack this is the better part of a decade ago his doctors actually told him because he had to do um, rehabilitation involving gym work to a certain degree and the doctors told him that he had to like cut back on the working out as much as he was because he was a 65 year old man with a six pack (laughs) (laughs) just I think it's I think it's the Vietnam vet conditioning doesn't go away but he just develops muscle in a way that I don't and I like (laughs) I wonder if he looks at me or he used to look at me as like his, his fat wake child, like <laughs> the disappointment.
0: I don't, I mean, I think you have some <laughs> severe body image issues here. You're quite built.
1: Yeah, but not as built.
0: Not as not, built. Well, You're doing you know, not as ripped. Not as ripped. Because uh, you,
1: know, everyone is always in comparison to everyone else. Like I'm bigger than my dad. I could smash my dad now. I'm not scared. I could
0: fight. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa! <laughs> just d- d- touched a vein.
1: <laughs> no, I mean it's like I am. I'm definitely bigger than him. and It would be weird if I wasn't. He's he's now 67 or something. But yeah, like he's just, he just gets ripped real quick and I don't. I'm a different person. It's all good. Anyway, what were we talking about? Let's we're move on. We were talking
0: about the things that you were wrestling with but <laughs> Apparently. really this is deep in, your, deep in your psyche.
1: No, it does suck. I just, I noticed very, like, it's just a fallback. There's obviously something I should work on but, you know, you can just get comedic sort of fallbacks. Mm. An easy one, I think, of someone of my size is to appear really vulnerable and an easy way for to do that is just to bring up my dad <laughs> and just bring that up. and then it's just an easy way in. But... Um, no, I love my dad. Good, good guy. <laughs> um, is he listening? I, no. Is there I, anything you want to say to
0: him? Is this give something? me a call. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: he, um, he's very proud of me. I'm proud of him. Um, um, no, one wonder. the things I've been, like, thinking about, would it... It makes sense to sort of give a brief overview and then we go back, I guess. Yeah. Because the two main points are that, like, the first one is an inability to in at least progressives but I think in a lot of people and especially younger people to hold and entertain and explore an idea without it representing an admission of endorsing that idea Yes. Which is something that terrifies me more and more. And the second thing that I've been thinking more about is how that works politically and academically. I mean, The academia. idea that
0: a thought experiment or even a conversation is in itself dangerous.
1: Yeah, this idea of like toxic ideas and whatnot.
0: Which I, I get to a certain extent. I feel like it is one of those things yeah. where there are gradations. So the obvious example is uh, are, is X group human? Yeah. Can they be considered humans of equal value to us? Th- is those that the obvious? I mean, X X,
1: the, X being a, a, a type of person already or X being animals, a, non-human animals? A
0: type of animals. group. So, a, a human group.
1: Okay. So, I don't, to mm. say,
0: are Jews humans is in, inherently sort of offensive.
1: I get you. Yeah, 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 yeah and, yeah.
0: and it's a very clear example of the kind of thing that you would say is not a discussion that should be had. It doesn't need to be had. It's a... Yeah. It's a... Even having it is conceding a, a certain level of point. Um,
1: even then, I think... To a degree, like you just said it, I'm now thinking of it, anyone listening to this is now thinking of that question, are Jews human? Yes. And it doesn't take a stretch to just sort of go, I mean, let's consider why they are. They're human. And then you're done. Yes. But it's, it is this idea that talking about it, bringing it up, saying it in any sort of way, posing it as a hypothetical, I if think- you can't, because I think the thing is like that also doesn't have any instrumental value asking I, that question sorry go.
0: I feel like part of the problem is d- democracy in that it, it <laughs>
2: presents,
0: no it presents you with a framework of thought whereby two uh, sides of any argument are given essentially equal weight
1: yeah which is in, wrong
0: at least in hypothesis that if you're having a discussion both sides have to be equally something equally weighty or given equal consideration or yeah
1: even if not equal weighting then like equal hearing Yes, in terms and I of think like we we should wrong. yeah we should listen to this ridiculous and farcical explanation of a something, and then we should also listen to the quite obviously right one. Yeah, and if it's it, like, it hasn't no. come out
0: of democracy, it's come out of of uh, the way that I mean best practices in kind of broadcast journalism, things like the, the the kind of broadcasting codes of conduct, which say that you need to present an opposing viewpoint to any point yeah. of view uh, that is contentious. And so you have problems like what happened with climate change, where the vast majority of scientific consensus falls yep. on one side, but they've been presented as though they were uh, equal.
1: Yeah, it's and it's it, yeah, it's a, it's a problem because I mean we are like the climate change example, or like the the easiest one for me is Holocaust denial, yes. because that isn't so farcical in terms of it being like, I'd use human because it is an empirical sort of question that we can raise but it also definitely did happen yes. and it's not something that can be denied or like climate change like the consensus is I mean, in it clearly it is a thing.
0: can be denied you still have flat well, that's, earthers that's what I mean
1: that. like well, that, that's what I mean that's why I think it's a good example because like I, I think even like the KKK now have to concede that they don't like those humans who are black yes. not these subhumans who are not worthy of the title human. like, yeah. And so there's, yeah, the concessions that have been made on that front means it's like, well, it's, a, you know, as as far as examples go, it doesn't really tell us, that doesn't hit the intuition that I have been worried about because, like, I, I do think that Nazi propaganda should be stamped out. I'm all for violent opposition to Nazis, so I don't think you should go out of your way to assault Nazis, but I do think you should stand bodily in the front line against any of their rallies. I think that is... So, I, and that's, that's purely because of their idea because I think they hold an idea that by definition requires violence to be enacted
0: which I think is it becomes a problem when you can define anyone with an opposing viewpoint as a Nazi well
1: that's the thing like, again you shouldn't be able to in the same way that you shouldn't be able to say the holocaust didn't happen you shouldn't be able like, that's a problem with progressives at the moment is this idea like, well, look at this Nazi these Nazis saying this it's like, no no we know who Nazis are they get a very specific tattoo you can spot them they walk Certain way, like they say specific things, which and it's the same thing with um like tankies or like um you know anyone in like I don't know
0: what that is
1: Trotsky denialism Uh. or Maoists like because like. Fascism, by definition, in my mind, doesn't have to be violent. It's just always been tied that way because, you know, strength and power and one person, usually a man, is the focus point of that. But you can have benevolent dictators in theory. You can't, in theory, have non-violent Nazis or Maoists. Yeah. And so I think those ideas are ones that we don't have to entertain in a discourse, Mm -hmm. but you can entertain the idea of Nazism in your mind and, in fact, that's probably a really good way of figuring out why you oppose it because yes. a big problem is this complete reticence to explore an I- a horrible idea, find exactly why it's horrible and then be able to expand upon the ramifications of that horribleness and the inverse is explore a good idea and find out where it's weak and shore it up, which I- we can get yeah, to. Yeah, because
0: but. if you're not having this practice or if you're not having these discussions, what you end up is gut feeling against gut feeling and it, they yeah. do end up as an equal sort of battle because you're not being forced to kind of present logic and, and argument and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then probably end up with your gut feeling. But I, I think... Um, I don't know. I've forgotten what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> there is There is an interesting... Yeah, there is an interesting thing happening now where people are refusing to have discussions.
1: Well, the big, the big three in my mind, like the big three thrash bands. It's four. That's a little joke for any metalhead listeners. (laughs) Uh, No one, no one counts Megadeth. Am I I right, guys?
0: I have no metal (laughs) listeners. I almost guarantee. Bullshit. If you're a metal listener, email me. You know what? You may. I will concede the point.
1: You may have zero because I don't listen to this. (laughs) 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 Um, Um. the, th- the three things that have happened, sort of recently enough, that have got me worried about where progressive politics is heading, and academia and all the rest, is when uh, Peter Singer, trying to give a talk on effective altruism, had his had a speech violently shut down on campus because more than twenty years ago he wrote a paper which is ostensibly in favour of infanticide, but the point of the paper being if a child is born who we would let die and have let die since forever because there's a few different types of diseases where they can't eat, they do have pain receptors but we just let them die, Over the, we, we dehydrate them and he's saying, he said in the 80s that it would be a good thing to kill them actively and student activists got a hold of that and when he's a baby killer, he's... He, you know, he endorses so he was killing advocating
0: babies. euthanasia in particular instances. Yes, he's making a very narrow claim, yep. and they generalised it
1: uh, effectively. Yeah. What well, I mean? But even then, he wasn't so much making a narrow. He was making a narrow claim in a way. In another way, he was making a very broad claim. In that, you can kill babies, and here's how. And so that that does fundamentally change how we talk about certain things because if you if you concede the point that sometimes babies can be killed, then you have to figure out what times those are. Now, he made a totally rational point of when that can happen, but, I mean, obviously the worry is that, oh, but then you, you'll get, you know, 18-month-olds being killed because they didn't develop in a certain way. Oh, we're scared about eugenics, my, And, I mean, that could be a worry in some cases, but in this case it was just stupid. But also the fact that his talk was about effective altruism, as in how to actively be good, and they shut that talk down... Yes. Is, is to me uh, a type of, like legitimate type of insanity, a groupthink insanity because it's just a rush to be seen to be good without any real thought of why you're doing what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I think that a similar thing happened with that uh, paper recently. There was a scandal. Uh, that, was my s- Tuval. Tuval, yeah.
1: that was my second one.
0: So, uh, explain that a little bit more. I'm not sure that I followed it as well as I should have, not being in the realm of philosophy, which you are.
1: Basically, um, this fantastic academic wrote a paper where she, as almost a thought experiment, highlighted the differences and similarities between people that are transsexual and people that are transracial, trans race. So, there was the case, I forget the name now, but there was a woman in the States who... Like, said she was African American. Yes. And then. Rachel Dolezal. Yeah, I've yeah, yeah.
0: Spoken about her before, yeah. Yeah,
1: and and then and it came out that, like, she was what we would say white. Like, I don't know, if, like, technically white or whatever. And she said, I'm trans race. And so, Tuval wrote a paper um, that questioned what it means to say I'm transsexual. Transgender, is it? Transgender. Um, in in reference to people that say they're trans race. So she brought out all these differences and similarities between saying that and, like, ineffectively, a way of shoring up any talk about transgender not being taken seriously. Because it it's mm-hmm. like, they can just say that it's this. In actual fact, it's a deeper meaning. It has this sort of thing. And there were some so things... So she was,
0: sort of to clarify, she was on the side of people who are uh, transgender. She oh, didn't totally. deny their identity yeah. or their... Nah validity or their place in society. No. Okay, just to clarify. Yeah, I just wanted yeah, to clarify yeah. that because I know was what she was accused of doing.
1: Yeah, she's a staunch f- intersectional feminist. Everything about it, all her previous work and everything highlights that. Um, but the fact that there were similarities brought up between something that I think most people think is kind of farcical, for some reason like trans race, just seems to be it seems in the academic literature to be silly like you can't be trans race because it's to do exactly with lineage We're, and and that's the thing so the paper had some problems it had some and it, it was a it was a foundational paper so there are going to be a there's going to be a lot of discussion about that particular paper what it got right and what it got wrong But there was this initial outcry that had academics signing a petition to get it taken down and to get a, you know, to to lose funding and all these different things. And the main letter that was circulated was just really poorly written and didn't really connect with what the paper was actually about.
0: So the criticisms they were levelling at her were not,
1: not accurate? Not based in reality, essentially. There was so much wrong with what they said was wrong with the paper and now some people have actually walked back their criticism. The, um, the editor of the publication that she was published in defended the paper and all of these different claims that come out, which I think this is a problem and it's always been a problem just with debate and discourse all the time is that it's very easy to make a lot of shallow claims and it takes a lot of time and effort to debunk those shallow claims and so a sexier headline is like like climate change isn't real because carbon dioxide helps plants or you see it a lot in sort of like pseudoscience or religious debates you can just make a very brief claim and it actually takes a lot of Hard climate work. change
0: isn't real because the temperature of the earth has changed a lot over time
1: yeah and it actually takes a lot of talking about well actually the CO2 changes and what they do in the Arctic and what the problem is and to, to get people back on board people have lost interest by the time you get back to the reality of the situation which I think is what happened in Cheval's case is that by the time people went with a fine tooth comb through her paper and were like no she's right here she's right here and she didn't say this and she didn't do that people are like ah oh, it's that it's that transphobe whatever
0: yeah, which is a terrible, a terrible shame, and and one of the nasty things about psychology is that you will believe a false claim if you, even if it's refuted, if you believed it enough to begin with.
1: Yeah, it's just just the repetition of the false claim. It's also it's a political thing. You never go out as, as a political statement to say what you weren't going to do or refute the exact claim your opponent made. You just keep pushing your message through mm. it because people just remember the messaging, and and so so the the, the thing that scared me about that was that her paper was fine, it was not transphobic in any way. It wasn't a a pseudo-philosophical or pseudoscience paper that subtly called for the eradication of a group of people. What it was doing was holding on to the idea of transgender and exploring it to figure out exactly what we mean and what we can mean by that term and what it means to be a transgender person in this society. like, yes. and Which is an important thing to do because if we just have a shallow reading of like transgender people are X and that's fine and final, we've not really got any position to fall back on when someone goes, they're not real.
2: Yeah. It's
1: like they, they clearly are. We clearly want to support them. We clearly want everyone brought up to a certain baseline level in the society where we can function as equals. And if yeah. we just go, well, talking about them is problematic, exploring their identity is problematic then we have absolutely nothing to say against people that just go, aren't they just a bit wrong in the head? Yeah. It's like, no, they're not. Yeah, they're- and
0: it's a, it's a worthwhile thing to say what is... I mean, just what is the difference between race and gender? Yeah. Uh, that's sort of your prim- Your beginning point is what is the difference between gender and race? Both are arguably biological. Both are arguably sociological. Both of them have both of those elements uh, that shift in different societies in the way... but fundamental similarities so that you are biologically the same race if you're black in africa as if you're black in america but the way that you are treated is different yeah and and same you know the way that you're as a woman in you know antarctica versus a woman in southeast asia i mean all of those things are different but essentially there's a fundamental biological similarity yeah and then how are those distinct and then how are claims about shifting those categories distinct from one another yeah or similar from one another i mean i i think it's a very interesting thought experiment yeah i don't understand the, th- the threat in it
1: well that's the thing i think when you when someone says i think it's a very interesting thought experiment a lot of people get their back up is in, in, like, you can't treat me like a thought experiment. That that debases someone's humanity to treat them like a thought experiment.
0: Yeah, to trivialise the significance of, of their identity claim yeah. is to, to, to treat it with scepticism.
1: Yeah, which, again, I don't think is the case. I can, I can happily entertain the most vile thoughts right now about any particular person or group, <laughs> and it won't affect how I actually... Not even behave with them, but also think about them later. Mm. It doesn't change your thinking to have an honest d- discussion with yourself about certain things, yeah. and I think that's what's that's what's scary about that is saying that out loud in certain groups can get you sort of shunned or skeptical. There's, um, I don't know if you want to go into it, but like you know instances in like academia discussing certain. Um, like touchy subject and rightly so they are you know big subjects that should probably be handled delicately but not this delicately and the way i'm seeing well, not
0: it not not at all
1: delicately but, that, yeah. but
0: not, not not at all
1: there's that but i mean there's also the the trigger warnings and like the content warnings that you see which i think serve a purpose to a point in terms of if you've if you've got an obscurely named paper and it deals with very intense, like a criminology paper or something, and it deals with very intense subject matter, probably put a warning in there. But when you see, like, you know, BuzzFeed or something with a title of, like, my sexual assault, trigger warning, sexual assault. It's like, well, thank you. Yes, it's already in there. We're already... Anyone already, like, upset by that has been hit. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I find that a really interesting thing. I think the trigger content warning certainly came up from the fan fiction community, yeah, uh, which is a really interesting (laughs) subculture. But they they were based around people having, I mean, basically, I mean, not necessarily pornographic, but basically, well, you're pursuing a sort of a desire for a particular kind of story, and so it was uh, they were uh, sort of uh, defining these stories as to what they did contain. To begin with. So if you were looking for a romantic story about two particular characters in which one would be sad and the other one would comfort them, there were all categories that started Mm. to grow up around that. And then, you know, warning for character death. I think that was the first set of if they Content wanted dramatic story. For spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> that there was a character death or a major character death because people wanted comfort reading and they wanted to be Fair. indulged and it was, you know, huh. I don't think the analogy to pornography is too far off in that they wanted to know what they were going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is a certain kind of reading that is, yeah, you just want to read something easy and fun. There's a reason I read trashy fantasy novels. I know what's going to happen. I know how they're going to go. I know all of the the parts and pieces and there's a comfort to that it's comfort yeah food. i'm but just thinking
1: about how bad surprise pornography would be <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, mystery
0: pornography you do, you oh. do,
1: yeah do you reckon like uh, porn hub has a i'm feeling lucky button
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you just have to go for it i'm feeling decidedly unlucky yeah. Hit me.
0: but this is the thing when it comes to taste particularly sexual tastes and uh, that stuff is very specific yeah. So you have maybe a right to control your experience there. When you're in a university setting and you're deliberately meant to be outside at least your intellectual comfort zone, yeah, it's more troublesome. Although I guess, yeah, content warning for things like rape is probably useful.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's, it's useful to a degree, but there seems to be a weird sort of conflation between like if you've got heavy enough content warnings then maybe you should just not do your paper yeah. or maybe you should just not give this talk it's like no maybe you just don't come to this one yeah but the big the big thing for me the big thing that the big i suppose single statement that i've been thinking about more and more is that if we don't, if progressives don't talk about certain things, if progressives keep getting shut down, then what we're doing is leaving the discussion and the debate and the conclusion to the people we don't want to be having those discussions and debates with. Like, it is so much better that left leaning young postgrad academics will be talking about v- problematic views on transphobia than the UPF. Yeah. Like it's, I think it's really important that we recognize when people, I think, I think we're losing sight of intent and that's the, the, the other thing I've been wrestling with. I have not even gone to the third example, but the main, the main thing, and this is a newer thing for me is how virtue ethics seem to play a lot in society, which Explain I won't,
0: I will I don't think it's exciting. Okay, and just give I, a quick rundown.
1: It's basically... What do you
0: mean when you say virtue ethics? Or to, what do you want me a, to understand when you say virtue ethics?
1: It's, just, it's a moral theory that focuses on the content of the character, or the content of the agent, as opposed to the outcome of the action, like utilitarianism or consequentialism, or the reason for acting in terms of moral codes, like deontology.
0: So if I uh, move... I picked the wrong place to do this podcast. Do you um, reckon... Yeah, I know you said this was the wrong place to do the podcast and I chose to do it here. I don't remember. Nonetheless, I understand this is my fault. If it (laughs) is unlistenable to, then we've just had this conversation to no end. All right, I admit my fault in this instance.
1: Just spend five minutes editing the podcast later. (laughs) No. (laughs) No.
0: I'm not going to do that. Um, We've just picked the area whereby people are rolling things around. Um, I'm hoping these directional mics won't pick it up, but they probably will. (laughs) So...
1: Nothing better than people on a podcast talking about sounds around them. Anyway, go on.
0: All right, stop, stop. Pause for edit? No, no pause for edit. Now, my point is that... So virtue ethics would take into consideration, say I saw a rock in the road and I moved it because I thought a car might bump over it and instead a bicycle hits it and the person dies. Would that take into account my...
1: It would only take... Virtuous ta- intent. It would... O- not even your virtuous intent. It would only take into account your character at the time of moving the rock. Okay. So it's this, it's this idea that, um, say, cruelty is entirely dependent on the person being cruel as opposed to what happens to the object of their cruelness. And so a good example of that is the Pleo dinosaur, which is a dinosaur that, when you take it out of the box, it acts like... uh, a baby animal (laughs) and it slowly develops and learns and it learns who you are. It learns voices and it reacts in ways like when it hears you, it perks up and it comes towards you and you feed it and you pat it and it it becomes um, connected to you're attached to you. And if you treat it poorly, it reacts in certain ways. So you can like slap it and you can throw it against things and it shouts and it screams in pain and it appears to cower sometimes as well. And they've been doing experiments on people's intuitions about that and when you show them there is on YouTube there is Pleo torture video and it is a bunch of academics doing certain different things to this dinosaur to gauge people's reactions and for some reason one of them is a tiny little plastic bag over its head and then they hang it from its tail and bump its head into a table Why? (laughs) Because it, it pumps people's intuitions about what's cruel and what's not because everyone looks at that toy and they go that's not a real thing mm. it's not feeling any pain it's only a representation of something feeling pain and yet we still feel like we want to say the person who would get enjoyment out of that is a cruel person yes. they have the vice of cruelty or they don't have the virtue of kindness purely because they find enjoyment out of doing that or like if you if you kick your filing cabinets you are you're not you don't have the virtue of patience
0: so, for example, where would they stand on what are called gold star pedophiles, people who have pedophilic tendencies but never attack children?
1: Well, that's, that's a hugely contentious sort of issue. So I'm, I'm co-writing a paper at the moment dealing with similar sort of things because um, there's someone who I work with, Dr Rob Sparrow, doing fantastic work, just got a paper published about um, his, his papers called Robots, Rape and Representation. And that partly deals with like, the, uh, sex child, the child sex dolls, so sex dolls that are designed to look like like children when I mean, they're banned in australia they're banned in norway they're banned all over the place um but these uh verb heads that they call themselves are yeah virtuous pedophiles who say that they can use those dolls as like a from a catharsis model that stops them from actually enacting it on um on real children
0: and so the premise for them being banned would be that it's sort of a slippery slope argument
1: well yeah because i mean there's the there's the potential risk that Performing that act over and over in fantasy increases the likelihood that you will perform it in reality. Um, but then there is the catharsis model, which is in opposition to that. It says that if you uh, are to get it out of your system, so to speak, then you won't do it more. But a virtue ethicist would, would say, well, if someone has that child sex doll and they enjoy having sex with it over and over and over and over again, because virtue is like a, a type of propensity then we could probably say that they're a vicious type of person for doing that. But at the same time, the argument goes the other way in that this person is grappling something, with like a sexuality that is horrible to them, and yet they are so virtuous that they don't give in to that temptation. They don't... And that's where I fall more. Yeah. And that's because I have trouble not taking into account the intent of an action. I yes. think that's... Because there is there is an argument to be made that um, like in, in the particular case study that uh, Rob uses, he uses like sex robots that can appear to not give consent. So he calls them rape robots. And he says that if someone is to use that once, maybe out of curiosity, then we probably wouldn't say that they are an evil person full of vice. But there is the idea that someone who can design it and spend months and months coming up with it and fixing it and going through like uh, R&D and all these different tests and making sure it's perfectly realistic, that take, that's a propensity that takes a long time to do so we can probably say that they're horrible if they're doing it for the purpose of sexual gratification but again like my, my counter example being a robot that you could torture and murder so it bruises realistically, it bleeds realistically, you can break its bones, all of that is in quotation marks because it doesn't bleed or bruise or have bones to break. It is a representation of the real. But if someone is building one of those robots and it takes them six months to do it, you can't just say that they're not virtuous because if they're doing it for this, for people that want to be cruel, then yes, they are. But if they're doing that because it would help training paramedics or cops then they're doing a very good thing and probably a more selfless thing than you would first realise because it would be horrible to come up with, like, a robot that would bleed realistically. Yes. Like, it it just seems like you can't take into account. And so so to tie it all back to what we were talking about before as opposed to just rambling on interesting subjects is that I think virtue ethics plays a lot into identity politics. It plays a lot into... um, like the performative protests that we've got because people want to demonstrate their virtues and their lack of vices according to their politics and their in-groups, which is why we have Peter Singer's talk being shut down. Yes. Because I'm not the type of person to kill a baby.
0: Yeah, but, but I mean this is the kind of... I think the interesting thing there is that the virtue is not in kind of classical virtues. So you're not displaying things like tolerance or patience or intellectual honesty or willingness to admit fault or uh, gentleness or any of these kind of classical, traditional virtues that don't really take into account your opposition. Yeah. Your, it's all comparative, it's all relativistic. Your, whether, whether punching someone is bad depends on who they are, not who you are.
1: Well, I mean... I think so, hmm. but uh, again, like virtue ethics wouldn 't, and I think like so the, the sh- um, not Sean Spicer what's it Richard Spencer being punched, the Nazi being punched. Hmm. like the virtue ethicist you would think would say you 're probably not very virtuous for doing that, but you can easily make the claim and it 's like no, that 's definitely a virtuous thing to do he 's a Nazi. Yes. And so my problem with virtue ethics, I think, I need to properly write out and draft the paper, but <laughs> my problem with it is that without taking into account outcome or intent or any of the other moral intuitions that we have, I think it's too subjective and malleable. I th- like, who decides what's a virtue and what's a vice? That constantly shifts. And that's, that's why religion falls out of favour in societies because they have a rigid rule of what's right and wrong and then society updates it.
0: A good example of that is honour. Yeah. So the idea of protecting your honour, fighting you know, yeah. to, to the death to protect your honour <laughs> as contained in the honour of your family or the women in your family or yeah. your own reputation or... Any of those things, it used to be considered a virtue to protect that with violent action.
1: Yeah, and now it's relatively internationally condemned. Yes. Honour killings are bad.
0: If someone knocks past you in a doorway and you d- challenge them to a fight and then kill them, you're not going to be thought of as a particularly good person.
1: Yeah. I think, I think there, is a, there is a weird remnant of that still in society, though. Like, there is definitely, like, you know, the killing the thief that comes back or killing someone terrorising your family. It's so, like, you know, even the cops and the courts, it's like, we'll charge you, but yeah.
0: But even if, I mean, I, I, the way that I'm thinking about it is if somebody doesn't give you your due deference or they don't... Oh, totally,
1: yeah.
0: If, if somebody does disrespects you, I don't yeah. think that that is considered a virtue to yeah, totally. have a tantrum and murder them
1: yeah. anymore. I mean, again, but it would be considered probably fine in a lot of cases... With a lot of people to belt them, like to just you know you, you'll get slapped for that, or it's like you know, or like there are still justifications for physical violence in terms of someone mouthing off or something like that. And I think, this is, but that that just highlights your point in that virtues and vices and the their respective responses change and shift with society. And I don't want to base a moral theory on something that can be updated. And then fundamentally changed. Yeah. Because, because the, the, this idea, comes up a lot in moral theory, is like slavery was fine until it wasn't, then it was never fine. Yes. So we looked back at that, and said, that in my show this year. Yeah, totally. Your, yeah, your line. Is that it's, it's not a thing that retrospectively stays fine. And it's the same thing. It's... Um, it's a it's a it's a problem with the paper, um, Tuvale wrote that she dead names um, someone who has transitioned and taken on a new name.
0: Yes, Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, but that's something that Caitlyn Jenner is.
1: Yeah, that that case died. was weird because she was using a direct quote. I don't know, that's a whole thing, but it is it is one of those things that the past can be changed in that way, well, and I don't want a moral theory like that like i don't want slavery to be okay again in the future potentially which it can be under virtue ethics i think it can't be under other types of theories
0: that that's an interesting point i came across one thing that just annoyed me and i don't even know why it annoyed me so much i think it's part of this uh, trend misattributing your quote part of a trend for not entertaining ideas i think is the idea that you can't even say something bad in quotation
1: yeah, which yeah, is. yeah.
0: So the idea that an insult or a hate term can't be referred to in quotation. So r- relatively recently there was a thing with Dan Savage talking about a uh, a night show called Tranny Bingo, yeah. which was run by a cross-dresser uh, when tranny was used as sort of an interchangeable term for anybody who was cross-dressing or transgender or anything before yeah. the categories got as refined as they are now. Yeah. Uh, In at least in sort of LGBT slang or language or common reference terms, and he got glitter bombed for talking about that subject for discussing that thing. So by uh, sort of by reference to that, I would be for discussing the discussion, I would be subject to glitter bombing for the same crime, except that I'm not as famous as Dan Savage. Yeah. But I I saw this in an article the other day in uh, Junkie, I think it was. Where they used the term prostitute, but they asterisked out the O. (laughs) One letter. (laughs) So you could tell what the word was. It wasn't, I think it was in a a quotation, but the idea that that using that one vowel changed it from something that you could say to something that was unforgivable.
1: I think what that does, like that asterixing out one letter.
0: coy and disingenuous. Yeah, and
1: on the other hand, I think it is a signifier that that's not a word to use. Yes. I think that's what that can do.
0: See, I would have done that in, by using quote marks.
1: Yeah. But I think to
0: distance yourself from it.
1: But there's, there's a thing in progressive politics now where it's like, how do you keep up with the terms? And it's like, we're on the cutting edge. We know what are slurs and what aren't slurs. But I think what they hope that asterisks does is signify that oh that's a slur now and so anyone who sees that i mean most people that see that will go that's fucking ridiculous why have you done that
0: Uh, that's effing ridiculous (laughs) spelled f hash asterisk (laughs) exclamation yeah the mad
1: magazine way of doing it yes but it's uh, like as a as a signifier and so it's a slur now and so you shouldn't use that term but it was in quotes just spell it I've, I have always had a problem with that sort of thing. Again, it's that disingenuous... I think there's, there's two problems is that, one, it's a disingenuous action.
0: You've thought the word, you're communicating the word, but you're refusing to take responsibility for the word.
1: To a degree, yeah. And it, it really is just like, you better, you better be saying something important enough to justify bothering to put that asterisk in there because if you're just doing it as a show, then you're not really helping. You're not really changing anything. You're just being like, oh, look at me. Look what I've done. ha <laughs> <laughs> And... Yeah, and again, it is that. It, it I think it comes back to that idea of not being able to hold ideas in your mind without like. You, I I need to warn everyone, and everyone needs to be warned whenever they think of the word prostitute that it's a slur. It's like it's just we can just know that. What what? Why are you saying the word? Hopefully, it's to highlight that it is a slur and it's wrong. If it's just coming out, then you've not done anything except show everyone that you don't hold that idea. Yes. Which is worrying in how ineffective it is because fucking Trump was elected.
0: Yeah. uh, There's this recent thing with Kathy Griffin holding up the decapitated head of Trump in a a, a photo image and then...
1: Dumbest thing.
0: what, What do you think is dumb about it?
1: I think the main thought that I've had is that as a progressive, given all of the talk about how the left are violent and how the left are barbaric, that was the stupidest thing she could have done for the cause.
0: See, I think... She was deliberately shocking. She didn't expect the backlash that she got, though she should have. But I don't think she should have apologised or backed off it. Yeah, no, God no. I think that she should have said, uh, I was going to do the one with his dismembered penis, but it wouldn't fit on the camera, it wouldn't show on the camera yeah. because it's so small. Like, I think she should have doubled down. Yeah, the
1: Trump non-apology is an effective way forward. But she actually begged for forgiveness.
0: Which I think is... Either, I mean... Why did you not
1: think about it in the first place? She, if She When you apologise like that, what you're saying is, oh boy, I wasn't expecting this.
0: Well, you she knew it was going to be shocking. It was deliberately shocking. If you wanted to it's elicit shock, shocking. yeah, I feel it's a little bit of the eggshell skull rule maybe mm. in there, in that legal sense of, you know, you have to be responsible for the full extent of the injury caused. Yeah even if you only intended to cause a small injury. Yeah. She did intend to shock people. She intended to cause controversy and she didn't expect it to be as big as it was. Yeah. She could say that and still refuse to apologise. Mm. Uh, I think apologising uh, for something like that gives it more power and gives more yeah. power to this kind of protest culture.
1: I think, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't give the image more power. What it gives more power to is the call that it was horrible and wrong and she's wrong. And it's
0: I mean, the, the image exists... It cannot be deleted. The internet is such that it can't be retracted. So what was explain it? what you meant maybe if, if your meaning was not But that's what I want to know.
1: What, why did she do it? What, like all I've seen is the one picture of it. And I think the first time I saw it was the, it was already part of the outrage and it doesn't seem to be in service of anything. It was just a severed head.
0: I think potentially... I don't know. I don't know. It could be a classical reference. There are a lot of really interesting well, yeah. classical images which have, you know, Judas holding up the he- yeah. head of whoever and, and what's her name? Salome hol- holding up the head of John the Baptist. So it could mm. have been a, a takeoff of that or it could be her trying to advertise how savage and edgy she is, which she has completely thrown down the toilet by backing off it. I mean, if you want to be the Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos of the left... <laughs> go for it. Like, go for it. Joan Rivers is dead. There's space there. Yeah. There's room there for somebody who's acerbic and unapologetic. There's room in the culture for that.
1: But See, what a virtue ethicist would say.
0: <laughs> what would a virtue ethicist?
1: Well, just that that's not what the left do. That's not what progressives are. Like, progressives or the left have the right morals... And, and this is just in broad strokes, they do things for the right reasons. <laughs> the right wing do horrible things for their own reasons. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't think you could have, like, it's just, it's just a, it's like, it's an, it's an oxymoron. By definition, you can't have a deceitful leftist or a self-interested leftist. Do you know what I mean?
0: Well, that is I know not it's not true. true.
1: I know it's not true, but I'm just saying that's why we don't have a big one. That's why we don't have a, like, a mainstream one is because the, the values that progressives hold don't lend themselves to that type of... You can't justify them under a progressive framework, yeah. whereas I think you can under a conservative or a right-wing or whatever hard-right framework.
0: Yeah. So what, what's the solution? Is there a solution?
1: <laughs> it, uh, no, that's what I was going to say. How long do we have? Let's get, some, let's get some finality and answers in. Let's fix it. Let's fix
0: the left, fix the
1: right. Let's fix everything all at once. There's no solution. We're done. I think I ended the last podcast like this too. <laughs> Run for the hills. Run for the hills with the lov- with your loved ones.
0: Where can people find you online? Where can they find your rape robot story? Can
1: we not end on that? <laughs> <laughs> no, we
0: have to end on that. That's the rules. No.
1: <laughs> I, I honestly think the way to fix it is to, to hold ideas in your mind and entertain other thoughts. because if you can entertain horrible ideas you can entertain disagree- ideas you disagree with
0: yes yes deeply unpleasant ideas anything that makes you feel like you've been abandoned in a car when you should have been carried out <laughs> is something that you should examine do i have a right to be carried out yeah
1: like you like it seems self-evident to us that americans should have universal health care Yes. But it doesn't to them. I think it serves no one to not think of the credible reasons why maybe they shouldn't.
0: Yes. I think, yeah, the, you shouldn't expect to be carried on the wave of, of liberalism and progressivism as a vibe rather than a set of yeah. coherent thoughts. Because I think currently people are abdicating thought in favour of a vibe, in yeah. favour of a feeling. Yeah. And your feelings can be wrong. Yeah. And it's a deeply unpleasant thing to realise that you are wrong. Yeah. Or that you haven't thought something through or that you have protected yourself by being, you know, manipulative or evading an answer. To be yeah. being held to account is, is an unpleasant thing. So it's better if you do it yourself exactly. rather than wait until someone else does it.
1: Yeah, it's better if you do it first and you think about, Your positions and your thoughts, and then it's probably better to bring it up with your in-group and your side of things, and then bring it out more generally to, you know, strangers that agree with you broadly, and then bring it forward to the opposition who already hold that horrible idea that you've already really thought about, that you've already figured out how to sort of, you know, undermine yeah, combat at least yeah.
0: or pr- present a, a decent shield against.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if both sides could do that, it'd be great. I mean, I think we're only talking to progressives. I can't imagine there's many alt-right MRAs listening to this podcast. It
0: is much less useful to go, you're disgusting than yeah. you're wrong and here's why. Yeah, totally. You're disgusting for even thinking that is yeah. not useful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's fewer people than both sides would like to admit that don't want what's best for everyone or at least... People that they know and care about, yeah, I think a lot of people really do love each other and want what's best, and they just think there's different ways of getting there for whatever reason, um, and I think yeah, we, we need to be able to talk openly and think about things and freely exchange I ideas mean, the argument and, oh. against that
0: is that it's emotional labor that is being disproportionately put on oppressed people rather than on yeah. people in power that it requires emotional labor
1: but then what's the alternative? yeah. The, the the people in power aren't doing it. Yeah, we you can't just. That's not an argument that will then get the people in power to change. I think it's probably just an unfortunate reality that it will take a lot of emotional labour. Yes, because human history has shown that the those in power won't really push it.
0: Yeah, I think better emotional labour than physical revolution. Which yeah, is the other way you can change the status quo. Yeah. Which better, I mean, better emotional labour than hangings in the street.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can find me on Twitter, at <laughs> <laughs> uh, underscore Philosophica. I'm on Instagram, Philosophica. I'm on Facebook, Mitch Alexander. I've got stuff coming up this year published, but you can find it all on that if you're at all interested. Um, do be interested. Um, I've got papers and articles around the internet. Just do a search. A couple
0: of things up on junky junkie advice. Junkie
1: now, yeah, so... Yeah, around there.
0: All over the place. Thank check you out, so much.
1: Check out my band, Eye of the Enemy, for all of the metalhead listeners that you've got. If you got.
0: like horrible, <laughs> screamy noises, go and, and enjoy those. Please That's tell me if you are a metal listener and you listen to this podcast. That's subjective. I'd be fascinated to hear uh, your aesthetic.
1: Horrible is not a term. I'd
0: <laughs> all right.
2: No, thanks Bye. for me. <laughs> Three frames, lovely lovely. I fall down.